We're going to meet back in 1 John again while you're turning your way there. Find somebody beside you and tell them, I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad you're here tonight. Now, you got to tell them, like, because we've been talking about real love over the past week or so, but you got to tell them in a real authentic way, I'm glad you're here tonight. I really mean that. I'm actually glad that you're here tonight. I mean that with the sincerity of my heart. I'm so glad you made the effort to be here tonight. We're going to meet back in 1 John again tonight as we put in the second installment of our Real Love series. As we launched into this last week, we talked about how for the most part we desire things to be authentic. We desire things to be genuine. We desire for things to be real, not fabricated, not fake, not phony. And so John's epistle here that we're going to spend the rest of our time together in is perfect for highlighting authenticity in several different things. At the end of his book, as a matter of fact, in chapter 5, John makes this statement as he's drawing to the close of his letter. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So John fills this letter that he has written to believers with authentic things, real things, genuine things that we just don't have to hope in but can be assured in. All throughout his letter, he points to the realness of Jesus. All throughout his letter, he points to the realness of his gospel message, the way in which the world really is, the way in which believers should really live. And then for us, what we're more specifically focusing on, he points to the realness of God's love. I write these things so that you may know, so that you may be assured that this is real. This love that God states that he has for you individually and for the world corporately is a very, very real love. So I want us to pick up in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. God's word reads in this way, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. Last week, we talked about a real love for God. Tonight, let's talk about God's real love for us. 46 times the word love is used 
in the book of 1 John. 27 of them occur in the passage that we just read. John says, I write these things so that you may know. It is glaringly obvious that through John's writing, God wants you to know one main thing, and it's that you are loved. You're loved. Before we get into this any further, we've got to take a moment to hang out on this just for a second because maybe you've never been told that. Maybe this is the first time in your life you have sat in a place and heard somebody speak to you the reality and the truth that God loves you. Maybe you do know that. Maybe you've even accepted and received his love, but you need to be reminded of the fact that God loves you tonight, the almighty creator and sustainer of all things, the one who dwells in unapproachable life, whose glory is unmatched, the one who has always been and will forever be, knows you and loves you. We all kind of have this blank look on our face. Why? Because we can't even fathom that he would. It's almost unimaginable to us that he would love us as we are. And this love, it goes so much farther beyond what we realize in a moment of just experiencing it. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays for those believers. And listen to what he says in his prayer. He says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul says, I pray that you can plunge into the length, into the breadth, into the height, into the depth, and into the knowledge of God's great love that he has for you. God's love has a length that we could never reach to. God's love has a depth that we could never descend to. God's love has a height that we can never climb to. But Paul says, I pray that you would try. I pray that you would try. I pray that each and every day, I echo Paul's prayer for my own life and for your life as well, that each and every day we would wake up and we would make an attempt to plunge to the depths of God's love for us. That we would at least make an attempt to climb to the heights of God's love for us. That we would make an attempt to try to reach across the length of God's love that he has for us. Because the more we plunge into it, the more we stretch across it, the more we try to climb up to it, the more it becomes real and true and faithful and genuine and authentic in our lives. If you don't truly know Jesus, I pray that tonight you would awaken to the love that he has for you. Because it's real. But us believers, let me talk to the saints in the room for a minute. I feel like for most of us who have accepted and received Christ as our Savior, if I were to ask you, do you know that God loves you? You would say, yeah, yeah, I know that. I, I got that pretty much down pat. I got that pretty much taken care of. You're not really teaching me anything tonight, Trey. Like, I hope it's going to pick up a little bit. Because I hope, I hope and pray that I didn't remove myself from the time that I could be studying for my finals that are coming up here in the next few weeks to come here tonight just to simply hear you tell me that God loves me. Please tell me something more than that. Please tell me that it's going to get deeper than that. So I feel like if I ask most of you who knew God, who knew Jesus, who has surrendered your life to him, did you know that God loves you? You would say, yeah, duh. Thank you, Trey. I hope you didn't spend the entirety of your week focusing in on just that. Here's a problem. 
Even though most of us know that, I think we struggle at most times to believe that. Accepting that love, receiving that love, having confidence in that love, that's where the struggle is. It's not that we don't know that God loves us. It's that we find the struggle in believing that he loves us. And in so doing, we ourselves, whether we realize it or not, begin to question the realness of his love in our own lives. So keep in mind that John is writing this to those of us who have believed. He's not writing to those who don't know the love of God. He's writing to those who are supposed to know the love of God. So what I want to try and help us all see tonight is how we can trust in the realness of God's love. And I want to pray for us one more time before we do that. God, as we come to your word tonight, I pray that as a vessel, you would fill me to speak through me. And that I would do nothing tonight to hinder the truth and the fullness of the proclamation of your word from going forth into this place tonight. God, help me not to subtract anything from your word. Help me not to add anything to your word. Help me to just speak truthfully your word and your word alone and open us up God, tonight is a room full of people to receive it, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about some characteristics of a real love. If God has a real love for us, let's talk about some characteristics of what that real love looks like. So if it's real, it's authentic. So God's real love for us is first and foremost shown to be authentic in its origins. If you go back and look at the beginning of the passage we read in verse 7, John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. There used to be a show on cable TV. I don't know if any of y'all remember it or not. It was called Pawn Stars. Anybody remember Anybody, anybody like to indulge in Pawn Stars? I used to love them. It was like a family tradition for us on like that night of the week when the new episode would come out to sit around and watch that show. And oftentimes during the show, people would bring all kinds of stuff to come in there and try and sell to make a profit off of. And a lot of times people would come in there and they would have something. It would be some kind of artifact, some kind of sports memorabilia, something like that. But it would have an autograph on it of some famous person. They would bring that into the store and they would try to sell that to the pawn guys so that they could make money off of it for themselves. They didn't want it anymore. They didn't see value in it. It was a dead relatives that they inherited and they didn't care anything for it. And so they would bring it in there to try and make some money off of it. And so the pawn guys would take it and they would look at it. But before they would ever buy it, oftentimes if they couldn't distinguish whether or not the autograph was authentic themselves, they would call in an autograph authenticator. And they would have him come in, and it would be someone who was an expert in identifying authentic autographs. So someone who had looked at enough of the originals from whoever it was, that specific person. So let's say somebody brought in a basketball that had Pete Maravich's signature on it. Any of y'all even know who that is? Pistol Pete, man. Y'all know who Pistol Pete is? Good grief, man. Matt, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with these people in here that don't know who Pistol Pete is? Pistol Pete Maravich. Google it. 
Y'all still do that, right? TikTok it or something, I don't know. Pistol Pete. So they would bring it in and they would look at the signature and they would call in the autograph authenticator and they would try to figure out if the autograph was authentic, whether or not Pistol Pete actually signed that with his own hand or whether somebody tried to copy it or whether it was machine drawn out or whatever. And so they would look at it and they would assess it and they would do the best that they could to look for consistencies between what was real and what could be fabricated or fake in order to try to trace it back to the signer's actual hand. And of course, if the autograph was authentic, then the value just did what? Rocketed way up. So right out of the gates, John says that love is from God. And not only that, but that God is love. So love exists because of God. And God himself is love. So listen to me. It's, it's his nature. Love is the very essence of who God is. Love finds its origin in God. Love finds its very existence in God. God is the originator of love. Without him, love ceases to exist or to have ever even been known. If you were to look down at verse 19 of the same passage we just read, John makes a statement, we love because he first loved us. So origin, the authentic origin of love is found to be in God and God himself. So we can trust God's love to be a real one. Why? Because if we take love itself and we trace it back to its origin, we find God's authentic signature on it. God was at the beginning of it. In John chapter 17, so John writes this epistle of 1 John, but he also, wrote, he also wrote a gospel account, the book of John. In chapter 17, verse 24, he says this, Jesus speaking in a prayer says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So we find God at the beginning, even before creation, even before the foundations of the earth were formed, love existed eternally between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So love's origin is found in God himself. Love was not a concept that God stumbled upon one day, thought was a good thing, and decided to adopt it as his own. He's the creator of it. So listen to me. That means that you cannot find a more authentic, real love than his. You cannot find a more authentic, real, true, genuine love outside of the one who created its very existence. That's as real as it gets. Love is from God. In the book of Jeremiah, God's people had been in Babylonian exile. And God had used Jeremiah throughout that time to try to call the people back to God. And it had been a long, hard, tough lesson and road and journey for God's people to endure during that exile. But at the end of Jeremiah in chapter 31, we see the exiles coming to an end and God's people are returning back to him and he's returning back to them and he's bringing them out of exile. And he says this to them in verse three, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I continued my faithfulness to you, an everlasting love. 
This speaks not merely to a love that will always be. See, I think a lot of times when we hear about God's everlasting love, when we hear about God's steadfast love, when we hear about God's eternal or abounding love, we think that that's a love that will just always be. Why? Because we begin God's love at the moment in which we experienced it. And oftentimes, that's the only way that we look at it. We only think of God's love as extending to us in a moment in which we experienced it and then being everlasting in the sense that it is something that will always be with us. But that's only half of the picture. An everlasting love speaks not merely to a love that will always be, but to a love that has always been. So listen to me. Even before you have an experience, even before you had an encounter, even before you became aware of the love that God has for you, He loved you before then. Oh, Lord, please. I hope y'all are getting this tonight. I hope we're taking it in. God's love was everlasting even before you became aware of it. It was there. That's what an everlasting love is. So when he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, God's saying to his people, I loved you before you ever even knew I loved you. And I will continue to love you ever since. And the beauty about an everlasting love is that only real love, only real love can be everlasting. Because only that kind of love is capable of enduring all things. God's love remained even in Israel's rebellion. The reason why they were in Babylonian exile and captivity was because they had been disobedient to God. They had turned their backs against Him. They had gone against His ways. They had forsaken and blasphemed His name. They didn't want to have anything else to do with Him. So God allowed them to be taken into exile so that hopefully they would realize His redeeming love that He has for them. So even in their rebellion, even in their unfaithfulness to Him, God's love was an everlasting love, and it never changed, and it never diminished, and it always remained the same for them. That's what a real love looks like. A real love is one that endures the worst of you and continues to love you. There are things that we attempt to love because they're externally driven upon us. I want to elaborate on that just for a minute. I had this conversation with my wife last night on the couch, and super thankful for a supportive wife in what I do, and so part of that support means that she has to endure my sermon sometimes three or four times before you guys ever even hear it once. And so we're sitting on the couch last night, and I'm trying to finish things up, and I'm working through this concept, and I'm having this conversation with her, and I, I began telling her, saying, I was like, would you agree that there are things we attempt to love because they're externally driven upon us? And she got up off the couch when I said that she didn't want couch, and when I said that, she got up and she walked into the dining room. And I was like, wow, this is going to go good. And so I thought, well, maybe she didn't understand what I meant by that. I was like, do you understand what I mean by that? She's like, no, 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 I get it 100%. I said, so like, here's my example. It's like, there are things that are externally driven upon us that, that we attempt to love because somebody is driving those things on us. So it might be sports. You might not care one thing about sports, but your parents did. And so you went to the private lessons. You played on the team. You did whatever. It, it might be dance. It might be playing an instrument. Some of you could care less about the piano if you ever saw it again. And the only reason you ever played it and the only reason you even attempted to try to love it was because your parents signed you up for piano lessons. Could be social events. So I'm rattling off all these examples and I'm looking at my wife and I'm like, is this making sense? Like, 
I feel like I'm trying here. I feel like I'm trying to convey a good point. She's like, no, I get it 100%. I was like, well, give me an example. Like, what's something that you have attempted to love because you feel like it's been externally driven upon you? And she starts smiling. I'm like, what? What is funny? She's like, I mean, can I just say whatever? Does it have to be like spiritual or, or serious? I'm like, no, it could be anything. She says, coffee. My wife has tried her best to love coffee. Why? Because culture loves coffee. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Coffee, 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 coffee. Some of y'all go on coffee dates and you suck that stuff down and you cringe on the inside, but you smile and post it anyway. <laughs> Why? Because culture loves coffee. And because that's been externally driven upon you, you think, I got to love coffee because everybody else around me loves coffee. But listen to me, here's the thing about that kind of love. That kind of love never holds up for us personally. Why? Because you didn't love those things at their best, so you definitely won't love those things at their worst. So it never holds up. A love that is, that is built upon us, a love that is externally driven upon us, it does not hold up as a personal, intimate love. Why? Because we never actually possessed a love for those things. You never loved baseball or softball. You never loved dance. You never truly loved playing the piano or the violin or whatever. You never truly loved coffee. You never truly loved social media. You never truly loved any of those things. You just attempted to because everybody else did or somebody else wanted you to. Listen, this is how we know that God's love is authentic. Because there is no external force acting upon it. Nobody is coercing God. Nobody is forcing love of this world and love of your soul upon God. He loves because it's His love. It originated with Him. He owns it. It's His own personal love that He desires your soul and wants to have a relationship with you. So His love exists in our best moments but it also endures in our worst moments. That, my friends, is real love. That's authentic love. Most of us would search this world high and low, and many people often do, trying to find that kind of love to be expressed towards them. And God owns it. He's prepared it for you to experience it. Real love is authentic in its origins. It's also authentic in its actions. We can trust God's love for us is real because, listen to me, because it took action. Most of us, I feel, would say that we just don't want to be told we're loved. It's not just that we merely want to be told we're loved. What else do we want? What else do we desire along with that? I want to be shown that I'm loved. I wonder how many relationships in this room or how many, how many guys in this room have heard from a girl at some point in their life, don't just tell me you love me. What? Show me you love me. Don't just tell me. Talk is cheap. I want to see. I want to know. I want to be shown that I'm loved. Guys, let me give you some advice. This, this is absolutely free. This is not even in the context of a relationship series. You find a girl one day and you want to hold on to her, don't just tell her that you love her. Show her that you love her each and every day by the actions that you take to make her known that she is the priority in your life. Calm down, ladies. We're not going to go any further than that. 
Let's stay focused. This is God's love tonight. This is not you trying to find a bachelor in a room. This is not you trying to walk up to one of your, one of your guy friends afterwards and slap him on the arm and say, did you hear that? I got the notes if you want to take them down. Most of us don't want to just be told that we're loved. We want to be shown that we're loved. Listen, God didn't just speak I love you. God has shown I love you. His love took action. And that's a key element of real love. Real love does not remain idle. Let me show you, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love took action. 1 John 3.18 even John says this about our love for one another based off of God's love for us. He says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Real love has a manifestation. It, it takes action. Real love moves. Authentic love has authentic action. And so there's a few things to this, that a, few, a few authentic actions that go along with this and some some sub-points that I want to give you as well. So when we look at God's love, we can see that it's real because it's authentic in its action. And what we see as a part of that is that it has an initiating action. So in verse 9, like what we just read, it says, In this the love of God is made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God's love is a love that moves, and it moves particularly in our direction. He is the one who initiates or takes the first step towards a relationship with us. Lost in our sin, we were never going to take the first step towards him. You have to realize that. In our rebellion against God, in our fleshly desires and our passions, walking as enemies of his word and of his commands and of his guidelines and his parameters that he has placed for us to follow. In that rebellion, we were never going to take the step back to God. So he took the first step towards us. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 11 says this, For we have already charged that all, all being all people, Jews and Greeks, if you're not a Jew, you're Greek, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. So nobody pursues God. Nobody pursues righteousness. Nobody pursues redemption. Nobody pursues restoration. So John tells us that God's initiating love took the first step towards us. The love of God was made manifest among us. You know what the word manifest means? It means to come out in the open. It means to be made public. That's what God's love did. In its initiating action, it took a step towards us and it manifested itself through his son, Jesus Christ. It came out on public display. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he sent his son. Love manifested itself upon this earth for us to see, for us to witness, for us to participate and be alongside the actions that it was taking to reconcile us back into a right relationship with the Father. So God, through the manifestation of his son, Jesus, openly and publicly made known his love for all people. Why? So that we might live through him. 
First John chapter 1, we read this kind of as we opened up the series, but I want to remind you of it again because we see this at the beginning of this letter. It says, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And again, in 1 John 3, 5, he says, you know that He appeared. He manifested. He came upon us to take away our sins. And in Him, there is no sin. In love, God came towards us. Real love moves. It initiates. So there's this initiation, initiating action. There's also a sacrificial action that takes place. So you go back and look at verse 10. It says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A marker of real love is that it's not afraid to sacrifice. Have you ever been in a relationship where the other person never sacrificed? Did you feel loved in that relationship? Absolutely not. Because real love is not afraid to sacrifice for the betterment of the other person. And there's never been a greater sacrifice for love than the father giving the world his son and the son willingly giving himself for the world. John says that this is love. You guys want to know what love is? John says, I'll tell you what love is. This is love. When we didn't love God, he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, if you were here last week, we discussed what that word means. It means a sacrifice that took God's wrath and turned it to our favor. John says, you want to know what real love is? That's real love. That's sacrificing action. That's sacrificial Love that, that God would send his son and that the son would willingly come and give his life on the cross and shed his blood for wretched sinners like us so that we could come and surrender our lives to him. And instead of receiving God's wrath, we could instead receive Christ's righteousness to willingly lay down his life and a death on a cross to redeem us and to forgive us of our sins and to restore us to a relationship that we had fractured and had no way of putting back together ourselves. Romans 5, verses 6 to 11 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. That's real love. That God would send his son and that his son would willingly give his life for each and every one of us to be reconciled. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that tells me? That is the, the absolute epitome of what we mean by in order to come to faith and have forgiveness in Christ, there is nothing that you have to do to try to repair yourself beforehand. 
God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there is no trying to fix yourself. There is no putting the pieces of your life back together. There is no getting to a better place and then coming to Christ and finding salvation. It is quite simply come in your sinfulness, come in your brokenness, come in your disrepair, come in your depression, come in your anxiety, come in your stress, come in your worry, come just as you are and salvation is available in that place too. That's real love. Some of you want God to prove his love for you by writing it in the sky while overlooking the fact he's already inscribed it on a tree. We better be thankful that God doesn't reverse our demands on us saying, why don't you prove your love for me? Then I'll manifest my love for you. What if it worked in that way? God in his grace says, you know what? I don't have to, but I will. I will prove my love for you. Here comes Jesus. Years back, God kind of impressed something upon my heart as I was studying about his love. I used to struggle so greatly with accepting, believing, receiving the love of God in my life. Because so often I would reflect over my life and the things that I did, the things that I said, the mistakes that I made, the past that I carried with me. And I would think, God, man, how? there is no way. Okay, understand you're telling me that you love me. So back to the problem at the beginning. We know God's love. What about believing God's love? I know you love me, but I, I can't believe that. How can I believe that? I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know how daily I fall short of your glory. I know how daily I sin against you. I know you love me, but I just can't believe that. Because I can't even love myself. I can't look in the mirror and love myself. So how in the world can a holy, righteous, just, almighty God love me if he sees the same thing that I see when I look in the mirror? And God began to teach me some things in that season. And one of the things he's so greatly impressed upon my heart that I see lived out in relationships, whether it be just a godly relationship, godly community, or whether I see it in a loving relationship between a husband and a wife, it's that this, sacrifice is love's strongest advocate. And so as God began to teach me some things, and I began to struggle with believing whether or not he truly did love me the way that he said that he had, Instead of trying to wrap my mind around all that he had, instead of trying to wrap my mind around the, the, the reality that he just did because I couldn't seem to get that to push through, God says, fine, if you don't want to believe that, if you can't wrap your mind around these things, let me show you this. Maybe you can believe in this, in the fact that sacrifice is love's strongest advocate. So if you can't believe all these other things, believe in the reality that I sacrificed as an advocate to show my love for you so that you can believe it is real. Had there been no sacrifice, had God not given of himself, willingly laying down his life on a rugged cross for us to come to know him, how much greater of a struggle would it be for us to believe the love that he has for us if there was no sacrifice? But the reality is there was sacrifice. We know his love is real. 
Why? Because it has sacrificed at the highest cost. Sacrificial action. One last thing, unconditional action. Verse 13, stay with me, we're almost done. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. God's love is for any whoever that wants to reach out and receive it. It's not earned through hoop jumping. It's not forced on unwillingness. Jesus, as he was being nailed to that cross, knew that not everyone would accept. But he continued to lay upon it regardless. His love is unconditional in that it takes you just as you are. No one, I don't care what your past is, I don't care what kind of baggage you have brought into this place, I don't care what you have seen or what you have done or what you have participated in or what you have witnessed, no one, we have said this time and time again in this place, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. His love is unconditional in that it takes you as you are, but listen to me. It does take you as you are. But a life that is truly received and been impacted by the real love of God experiences a transformation into something new. You don't remain as you were. You become someone new. That's the real love that God has for us. That's the unconditional action that is laid out before the whoever's of the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would come to him, could have eternal life. So let's go back to verse 16 real quick. This is how we finish. John says this, back to, back to our original problem, saints. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So John, after all this disposition, says as a result of all this, we have come to know and to believe that God really loves us. Find somebody around you and tell them, God really loves you. God really loves you. I'm glad you're here tonight. But one of the reasons I'm glad you're here tonight is because God really loves you. Glad you're here tonight so that you could hear that God really loves you. God has a real love for us. And it is more authentic and genuine and true than anything else you could spend your life pursuing on the face of this earth trying to find an attachment to you. I love you. If you're still struggling with that tonight, after we get done, come talk to a fellow struggler. And we'll work through it. We'll get to a point where hopefully you can say God really does love you. And I'm thankful that he does. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at Underwood Baptist 
www.thebibleproject.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.